Well, good morning, New Life Church. Glad we could um, join together. It's been a wonderful time of worship, since the Spirit moving amongst us, and excited to be part of that this morning. If you have your Bibles, we continue our sermon series through the letters of John. We are currently going through 1 John, and we are in chapter 4 at the moment. And uh, we're talking about the subject of perfect love. Uh, perfect love. In fact, the title of my sermon this morning is The Root and Fruit of Perfect Love. And I hope that you've been enjoying this uh, series through the letters of John. Um, a great subject this morning. There's a, a great theme through this book. And a theme that should be the interest of everyone. And I'm not sure that everyone would be interested in the answer to, to where to find perfect love. But the truth is... That perfect love resides in Christ alone. But last week we saw the Apostle John explain that we ought to love one another. Because the very nature of God himself is love. And in this epistle John has been showing us reason after reason why we ought to love one another. As those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. Loving like Christ is not natural. It's supernatural. And so John knows that there are definite challenges to really reflecting, really displaying, to to manifesting this perfect love in the life of the the church, in the life of the, the local congregation. And so he reminds us that the love that you have as a born-again person, is not just an imitation of the divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. So before we um, get into that, let's read the passage and um, then we'll pray together. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to be reading from verse 13 to verse 21 this morning. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the wonderful truths that we have read this morning. We thank you for the truths that we have sung this morning. We thank you for the truths, Lord, that we have communicated to each other this morning. 
And we do pray, Lord, that your spirit would take these truths and that he would help us to understand and that he would help us to live for your glory. We're not here, Lord, this morning just to keep the seats warm. We're here this morning, Lord, to to honor you. And we know that cannot be done unless we are obedient to you, unless we are following your word. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, so that we would be the doers of your word, that we wouldn't just be going through the motions, but, Father, that we would be conforming to the image of your Son as revealed to us in your, in your scriptures. So we love you, Lord, and we want to honor you. We want to please you. We want to be more like you. We want to love better. So we pray you help us to do that, that you give us a greater assurance of your love for us, Lord, so that we may be more confident in our love to others. So we pray for your help this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So the text we're starting with this morning is in verse 13, and I want you to notice the very beginning, the very beginning of these words. John says, by this we know that we abide in him. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. John has this burden, and this is what he's been trying to communicate with us all this time, this whole letter. He's trying to teach us how to be sure that God abides in us. How we can know for sure whether we are truly saved. How we can know for sure whether we are going to heaven or not. And are you sure that God abides in you today? Are you 100% sure that you are a child of God? Well, he wrote this letter to help you answer that question. And consider how many times he has made us think about this. I want you to just turn to to chapter 2. And I'm going to show you all the verses here that he has spoken about this assurance. And I want you to put a little A in the margin of of your Bible so that you can go back to these verses to help you understand what he's teaching us here. Um, Put a little A in the margin of of each of these verses. So the first verse is in chapter 2, verse 3. By this we may be sure that we know him. Chapter 2, verse 5. Look at the second part of verse 5. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. By this it may be Seen who are the children of God. Look at verse 14, chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death unto life. We know. Look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Look at verse 24, the second part of verse 24. By this we know that he abides in us. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. By this You know the Spirit of God. Look at verse 6, the second part of verse 6, chapter 4. By this we know the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. And then in chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Look at verse 13, chapter 5, last one. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know 
that you have eternal life. So one thing is very clear from this letter. John wants Christians to be sure of something. He wants us to know without a doubt. And he wants us to be confident of something. He wants to help us get get rid of our doubts about our salvation in Christ, whether we are abiding in Christ or not. Our text here in verse 13 says that he wants us to be sure that we abide in God and God in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Well, what does he mean by this? My first point this morning is from verse 13. We know that we abide in God and he abides in us because he has given us of his spirit. So let's look at our text and see what the tests are, what the signs of abiding in God look like. And let's start with verse 12. Let's just go back to verse 12 because it's so closely related to to verse 13. And what we will see is that that there are references to abiding in God and He in us in a number of verses. In in verse 12 it's there. In verse 13 it's there. um, In verse 15 it's there. Also in in verse 16. But let's, let's walk through this together. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So as we saw last week, the Greek word for perfected can be translated to mean to complete, to accomplish, or to fulfill. So how then is God's love to be accomplished in us? How is it to be fulfilled in us? Well, how is God's love to be revealed? Well, again, we saw last week, it's to be revealed in and through his church, through the body which we are saved into, is to be revealed as the church demonstrates this agape love, this sacrificial love towards each other. We are to reflect this, this supernatural love to a world that doesn't know this type of love. And we can be sure of our relationship with him because the love we have for each other is, is the very presence of God within us. Again, it's a supernatural love. It's not our way of natural love. So God abides in us. And since God is love, His presence in us is the perfecting or the completing of this love and our love for, for one another. So the first test, the first sign of abiding in God is love for, for one another. Well, the second test, look at verse 12. It says, no, no man has ever seen God. So the problem, how can you be sure of a relationship with a God you can't see? Well, the answer is there in verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We don't need to see God to know whether he abides with us. We need to be loving one another. We need to be... um, part of this fellowship that he has put us in and loving like he has told us to. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us as we, as we love each other. But the second test is there in verse 13. And verse 13 repeats the same truth just with a, a slightly different words. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us 
because he has given us of his spirit. So the love that you have for the children of God is a manifestation of the spirit of God within you. And this is that supernatural love I was talking about. It's not something that we've designed. It's not something that we've read from these, these, these helper books. This is from God himself. It is from the spirit of God. And the spirit does not manufacture love like, like Nissan manufactures patrol cars, okay? It doesn't manufacture love like Apple manufactures iPads. The spirit bears the fruit of love. And the fruit is one with the tree. So the spirit is the love of God. So the second test or the sign of abiding, is, uh, abiding in God is the spirit of God. Is the spirit of God abiding in you so that you can love like Christ loved. My second point this morning is in verse 14 and verse 15. We know that God abides in us and we in him when we confess the truth about Jesus. When we confess it. So now it's not just about living in our comfortable bubble. It's not just about gathering together and, and making each, each other um, comfortable. Now we're out of this comfort zone. And now he's talking about confessing the truth about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now our, now our confession is put to the test. It's easy to be part of a group that you're familiar with, isn't it? It's easy to be comfortable with people that sing the same songs as you do. It's easy to be part of a, of a group that, that has the same type of um, doctrines and the same, the same type of um, ethos as you do. But now we put to the test. How do we confess in a world around us that is hostile to the gospel? Are we ashamed of Christ? And in verse 14, there seems to be a, a break in this, in this flow of thought. Um, but it's, but, and, and John seems to drop this theme of, of love and then pick up the theme of confession. But it is connected. Let me, let me show you. Just be patient for a moment. He says in verse 14 that he and the other apostles have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. This is just what, what he said in chapter 1, verse 2. Now, if you go back there quickly, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, The life was made manifest, and we saw it and testify to it. Remember, John was an eyewitness to the perfect life of Jesus. He lived and dwelt among Jesus. He touched Jesus. He spoke with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to the miracles that Jesus performed. He was an eyewitness to the most significant event in history. The death and the burial and the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. And as a result, he testifies. As a result, he testifies to what he has seen and to what he has heard. He says, the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. That's verse 14. And then in verse 15, John says, whoever confesses this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This here is the third test to know if you are abiding in Christ. When it comes to the, when the rubber hits the road, when it comes to the, to the hard things, and when people push you for an answer, are you able to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? That He is the only Son of God? That there is no other way to God the Father but through His Son, Jesus Christ? Are you able to confess that? Are you able to testify that to a world around you that doesn't know the truth? Well, that's the test. And the evidence of whether you abide in God and God in you is how you respond, really. is how you respond to John's testimony. And his testimony is that the Father has sent the Son. So if you respond with, with a hearty agreement, then God abides in you. And that's what he's saying. And it's the same thing he said in, in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He said there, Whoever knows God listens to us and he who is not of God does not listen to us this morning in our discipleship class um, someone was asking I have a friend who professes to be a Christian um, and he's very involved and um, he's even part of the ministry but they, they disagree with, with, with po- big portions of the scripture they're not willing to, to follow what the scriptures are saying well that's a problem and John is saying right here, if we disagree with the, the, the scriptures revealed testimony of who Jesus is and what he wants us to do, then there's reason to doubt whether that person is a Christian or not. I mean, if we are disagreeing with what the scriptures tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, then we are obviously disagreeing with the very gospel itself. And there's reason for concern. But John has given us his testimony. And in verse 14, he tells us, The Father has sent the Son. And then in verse 15, he says that, listen listen to this. He says, If you confess, if you confess it, then you are of God. So it's not just about agreeing quietly without anybody knowing about it. There's a confession that is needing to be made here as well. If you confess it, if you heartily agree with it, he says, then you are of God. Then the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, the Spirit of truth. God abides in you and you in God. Now, confessing Christ's sonship is the proof that God abides in you. I'm not saying that it'll always be easy. There are people who have been killed People who have been martyred for this confession. And the Lord didn't ever say that it would be easy. He told us 
right from the beginning that they would hate us because they first hated him. So this confession is not an easy thing. And John acknowledges that. But it is proof. It is proof that the Spirit of God dwells in us. My third point is in verse 16. When we know and believe God's love for us and we abide in love, we abide in God and He in us. Here we're going to connect these thoughts here. So verse 16, John says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So we really are here back where we started. The experience of abiding in God. That is the experience of salvation. That's what he's talking about. This is not a second blessing. This is not a second baptism. This is talking about our experience of salvation. Our experience of salvation is manifested and preserved through abiding in love. Hearing the truth of God and living the truth of God. Which is the same thing verse 12 has already said. Look at verse 12. If we love one another, a God God abides in us. So we're to love one another with with this kind of perfect love because God himself is love. That's his very nature. That's his very character. Because Christ is manifest love. If we profess to be Christians, we behave like Christ. Belief affects our behavior. And we can't behave like Christ unless we have the Spirit of God living in us. It is impossible to be like Christ unless the Spirit of God is living within us. You can be good, you can be moral, but you cannot love like Christ unless the Spirit of God, unless the Spirit of Christ is living inside of you. So the main point of these verses so far is that there is this aroma of God, this aroma about God that can't be hidden, it can't be concealed, it can't be covered up. It's the aroma of love. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. That's what John is telling us here. There's this aroma about you of Christ, of the the love of Christ. And the aroma is the sign of God's presence in you. It's the same as when when you start in a fire. My mother always taught me, where there's smoke, there's fire. And you generally can smell smoke, isn't it? You run into, a, well, you, you smell smoke somewhere, the first thing you do, you run into the kitchen. What, what's going on? What's happening? Where's, where's the fire? There's this aroma. We, we smell like Christ. We have this assurance. There's this wonderful example, which I want to walk you through. The example of Paul's labor among the, the Thessalonians. If you would turn with me to, to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. I want to show you this practically displayed in the life of the believers here in the Thessalonian church. Remember, Paul came and he preached the gospel to them. But how did he have assurance that those who 
responded to this message were really chosen by God, that they were really believers, that they were really born again. How did Paul have this assurance? Well, turn with First uh, Thessalonians. Turn to First Thessalonians, chapter one. And we're going to look at verse four to verse seven. The scriptures say, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How did Paul know that? How could he be so sure? That's the question. Look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So how was Paul sure that God had chosen the Thessalonian converts and that their faith was genuine? How, how did Paul know that? Well, verse, go, look at verse 6 and verse 7. Because he saw the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. He saw evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. There was joy there. There was faith there. Even in their afflictions. They lived an exemplary life. They reflected Christ to others even when they were going through trials. Especially as they were going through trials. They lived this life for all to see. They displayed the glory of Christ for all to see, even in their afflictions. And he describes it in in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, We remember your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So this was a genuine faith. This was a faith that endured affliction joyfully. They endured affliction joyfully. And worked itself out in, in love. This was the mark. This was the, the test. This was the mark of genuineness that Paul was looking for. This love. But 1 Thessalonians 3. Turn one chapter back there. In 1 Thessalonians 3 from verse 10 to 12. It shows us, here this passage shows us something very encouraging about the way Paul prayed for this church. 1 Thessalonians 3. He said in verse 10, I pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So the faith he saw was was by no means perfect. Yet it was real. It was genuine. And he could see it. Everybody could see it. And he goes on to pray for their, their love. Look at verse 11 and, and verse 12. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all men as we do to you. So in other words, their love was not perfect either. There were some gaps. Paul, of course, wasn't happy with that. He he wanted their love to increase. So their faith had some things lacking, and their love had some things lacking. He wanted it to increase. But, 
both the faith and the love were evident and real. And it gave Paul enough assurance to see for himself that God had chosen these Thessalonians and that God had begun a good work in them which he would complete at the time of his coming. Now look at 2 Thessalonians. I'm sorry we're going through so many scriptures today, but I thought it's so appropriate to look at this church, what genuine faith looks like, of what genuine love looks like. A real example for us right here in the scriptures. In 2 Thessalonians, the question is, were Paul's prayers answered? Were Paul's prayers answered? Well, look at chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 3. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And what else? And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. His prayers were answered. Yes, they were. There was still evidence, there was good evidence that God had chosen these people and God was at work with these people and that their faith was growing and that their love was increasing. So the evidence of salvation that God abides in you and that you abide in God is not perfect faith, it's not perfect love. John Piper says, he says, the evidence is that the current of your affections flows toward God so that God is your delight even in affliction and love is the labor of your life even toward your enemies. He says that better than I could have ever said it. Let me repeat that. The evidence is that the current of your affections flows toward God so that God is your delight even in affliction and love is the labor of your life even toward your enemies. Is God your delight? You know, when, when you look at your life and you see room for improvement, don't conclude from that that God does not abide in you. That's not what John is saying here. Remember, it's not about perfection. It is about direction. And that's what John Piper is saying here. Is the current of your affections flowing Towards God. Do you desire to be with God? Do you delight in God? Second well, Thessalonians two verse thirteen gives a beautiful summary statement of, of Paul's thinking about the Thessalonians. Look what he says about them in verse thirteen. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I mean, I wonder what the Apostle Paul would say about us as a church, as New Life Church. I mean, would he write the same type of wonderful words of, of affirmation about, about us, about our love, about our, our faith? I mean, are these first fruits evidence to a world around us that we genuinely delight 
in God. And Paul could know that God had chosen them to be saved. It was clear. Because the way God saves is through sanctification by the Spirit. And by our belief in in the truth. He doesn't save us just so that we can go and live our lives and get a ticket into heaven and do what we want and act like we want. That's not why we are saved. We are saved to serve God. We are saved to be holy. We are saved to be holy. And when Paul saw this faith growing, even in their trials, even while they were being persecuted, and he saw their, their love increasing, even for, for strangers, for outsiders, for people that were not part of them, he concludes here with this assurance that yes, these people are genuine believers. These, this, this group are chosen by God. And this group is, is destined for glory. So whether we read Paul or whether we read John, the question of assurance is, is answered really in the same way. Do we see the evidence of sanctification and belief in the truth? And do you see that in your own life? Do you have a desire to grow in Christ? Are you at the same level spiritually this year where you are last year? Maybe I should have preached this at at the New Year's service. I mean, we all have New Year's resolutions. But do you see growth in your life? Do you see growth in your sanctification? Do you see your growth in your understanding of the truth? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you reading the scriptures? Are you loving God more? That is evidence. That is evidence that the Spirit of God abides in us. That is evidence that we are in Christ. So let me conclude this morning. And I want to close by applying these two tests to our own lives. Remember that the test of of our love for each other and the test of our faith, whether we are increasing, those two tests. And I I want to ask you a few questions this morning. The first question is, does your heart confess and agree with the scriptures that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Does your heart confess that? Do you embrace that truth? Or do you resist it? Does your heart say the same thing about Christ that that the apostles and the prophets say about him? In other words, do you have a longing to read the Bible? Do you have a desire to hear the Bible preached? So the question I'm not asking is, do you have times where, where, where you feel dry? I'm not asking that question. Are there times of indifference? I mean, we all go through those patches. But the question is, do you have a desire? Do you have this ongoing desire to join Mary at, at, the, at the feet of Jesus. And, and the one thing, the one needed thing was, was to listen to Jesus. And the Lord commended her for that, remember. And the Lord said, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they, and they follow me. Do you long to hear the teachings of Jesus? And the teachings of the apostles about Jesus? That's the first question. The second question. 
So when your heart grows cool and, and you begin to, to drift away from the, the word of God, do you feel a, a godly conviction? And does this conviction humble you? And does it bring you back to the cross? Do you come to the Lord and ask Him for the forgiveness of your sins? And do you ask Him to, to change you? The third question. So when you think about the example of Christ's life and the agape love that He lived, this perfect love, when you think about this, do you long to be like that? Do you long to be like Christ, to love like Christ? Or do you make excuses? Do you have these unloving attitudes and, and behaviors in your life that you are not willing to change? Well, next question, connected to that one. When you fail to love, does it grieve you? Does it grieve you? Does it bring you to the cross asking for forgiveness and seeking his strength so that you can love properly? And we all fail, but do we grieve when we don't? I mean, when we do fail? And the last question. Now is, this, is the pattern of your life to live for God's glory? Is the pattern of your life to live and serve, to live for others and to serve others? Or are your dreams and ambitions and desires rather about you being served? Do you want God to get the preeminence from your life? Or do you want the, the preeminence in your life? Who are, who are you living for? What are your, your dreams and your, your goals? What is the, the current and the pattern of your life? Do you want to make God known amongst the world? Or are you comfortable where you are? Do you want Him to be honored? Or do you want you to be honored? And who are you living for? And these these tests that John has given us are so important. The test is more important than, than any other test that, that we will ever take. As we were discussing in our class this morning, everybody knew of somebody that was professing to be a Christian, that was even in the church, that was even involved in ministry, but their lives did not show the love of Christ. Their lives did not show that they desired to live like Christ, that they desired to follow His word. And yet they were still in churches. And yet they were still leading these churches. And yet they are going to hell. And the most unkind thing we could ever do to each other is just ignore this question. The most unkind thing we could ever do to our friends who are still lost in their sin is not tell them about Jesus is not to tell them about their sin. It's not to tell them about their, their sinful lifestyle. Just ignore it and pretend it will go away. It won't go away, folks. 
They will stand before God one day and be judged for that sin. We have opportunities and we have obligations to make sure, number one, that we are in the faith, but also to encourage our brothers and sisters that are not in the faith, our friends, our relatives, our colleagues who think they're Christians but are not. Sometimes it's difficult to be honest, but the truth will hurt. The scripture tells us that we are the light and the salt of this earth. Have you ever put salt in a wound? I mean, it hurts. If it's working properly, if it's doing its job. If salt is not doing its job, the Lord says, it is good for nothing. Let's not be these good for nothing Christians. Let's be the salt that the Lord calls us to be. What a perfect opportunity this morning as we come before the Lord's table to examine ourselves and to ask this very important question. Are you sure that God abides in you today? Please don't leave this building without knowing for sure the answer to that question. Do not leave this building today. If you need to come and speak to one of the elders, please let us sit with you and make for sure this morning. We'll show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure that you are a Christian. Please don't leave this morning without knowing for sure that God abides in you today. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the words that you have preserved for us in your scriptures so that we can read them and understand them. And we know, Lord, that your word is profitable. It is profitable for correction. It is profitable for instruction. It is profitable, Lord, for our exhortation and training in righteousness. So Lord, you've been leading us here through the the letters of John and we come to this portion this morning. This is not a portion that I've just chosen randomly, Lord. This is a portion that you've been leading us towards. We pray, Lord, that we would see for sure that your word is indeed profitable and that we need to examine ourselves to know for sure whether we are saved or not. So Lord, we don't know when you will return We don't know even the day that we will die. So Lord, this is a very important question, the most important question that needs to be answered. Is our faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or is our faith in our experiences? Is our faith in our works? Lord, please, let your Spirit answer that question for us this morning as we partake together. Amen.